Hi, and welcome to the Slush Podcast. As you probably know, Slush is the world's leading startup event. You're about to hear an interview conducted at Slush 2017 on the Founder Studio stage where the biggest names in tech sit down for an intimate Q&A. Sonny Vu and Sriya Iyengar are a team of entrepreneurs who have gone on an amazing journey together. The list of companies they founded together includes Misfit, Firespout, Ega Matrix and Elemental Machines. They were interviewed by Tatu Koivisto. So, uh, if you just quickly uh, introduce yourself, what you do, like right now, you have great background and you've done a lot of companies, but like right now, what you guys are doing? So, uh, after, so, uh, Shredder and I founded Misfit Wearables, that was our most recent company. And uh, now, I, as part of the acquisition, I now work for our acquirer, Fossil Group, which is a large watch fashion group. And uh, that's what I do, I work at the Fossil Group. and. Uh, And outside of work, I spend a lot of time working with uh, startup founders to help them build their companies. And occasionally, if uh, it makes sense, I invest. Uh, focus mostly on deep, t- uh, deep tech, science-based companies, uh, material science, food biotech, that kind of thing. And um, after after the Misfit acquisition, I decided to start another company. Um, Sonny's uh, on the on the board and a co-founder. Uh, I'm really getting back to my my roots. So I'm my my PhD is in biochemistry. And so I wanted to actually uh, work on the Internet of Things types of products, but bring it back to the world of life sciences. So uh, this is my first time as a, my, my, you know, multiple times as a founder, but first time as a C- in, in the CEO role. And so okay. outside, I do the same thing, you know, invest in advice. How's the CEO role doing for you? Yeah, I think best to look at him because every time I tell him about my CEO role, he's like, see all the crap I had to put up with? <laughs> so, A-roll, benefits, yeah. Oh, yeah. political oh, infighting. So, you yeah, know. It's so hard. Uh-huh. Yeah, I get Enjoy. it. Okay, uh, what are the some of the biggest hurdles you encountered when creating a big data platform in healthcare? Uh, I, th- I think um, the technology is the easy part. I think I think that goes without saying. The build, Building the products was super easy. The problem is getting the market to get aligned and pay for these services. So getting people to pay for healthcare uh, is a big problem. I mean, it's much, much more of a problem in the U.S. than anywhere else in the, in, in the world. And so when you're building a healthcare, healthcare platform, it's making sure that the products you're offering are in alignment with the payer structure. That's the most confusing part of it. Yeah, actually, uh, for for the people who don't know, could you please uh, open up more uh, a bit? What what you guys are doing in the field of healthcare? I what's your YouTube video, and it's really great stuff. Well, I I'm I've not really working in uh, healthcare or fitness that much anymore, outside of what I do uh, for my uh, main job. Which, but it, it's really in the fashion wearables, fashion technology space, which has a fitness component, but that's not the main thing. Most of the companies that I'm excited about uh, working on outside of uh, my, my my main job, um, material science, food biotech, I mean, these are some of the things that are going to really, that have a universe denting impact possibility. Um, things that, uh, you know, ways to feed the world without having to raise a bunch of animals. How about that? You know, uh, so you heard it uh, about it about Perfect Day from Ryan and, and Paramol yesterday. I'm chairman for that company, and it's probably one of my favorite companies out there. Okay, now that we got into the investing part, uh, part, uh, you mentioned 
previously that you like to invest in uh, science-based startups. Uh, in what stage do you consider that the startup is viable for investment if it's like science-based IP? Start? Sure. So I'm, I, I don't really consider myself an investor. I'm an entrepreneur. I help founders uh, build their companies. I'll put money in to... Uh, to show skin in the game, but otherwise, I think I'm probably not a great investor. Uh, I think these are these, they seem like very different animals uh, between uh, uh, entrepreneurs and, and investors. Um, but as far as uh, readiness of you know getting involved with, I love early stage stuff, seed level, pre-seed companies. The main thing for me is I just need to see it work with my eyes. You know, the science and the science has to be different. It's got to work and it's got to be really, really different, and then. We'll build a company together. So that's what we did with Matrix, which is a thermoelectric material science company. These guys, a bunch of PhDs, been working on it for something like 12 years. They finally got it to work. An entirely new class of thermoelectric materials that now you can do thermoelectric freezing with and cooling. We're going to build air conditioners that have no compressors, no greenhouse gases, no moving parts. Unbelievable. That's, man, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really amped up about that. And so... Uh, I don't know. So that, that was ready to go, but that was really raw because it was literally, it was like the most hardcore t team ever. There's eight people. Uh, eight of them were, like, I think seven of them were PhDs in material science. I mean, talk about like an, an unbalanced team, right? But uh, they were amazing. And, uh, and that's, what, uh, that's what I get excited about. So I think for me, um, the point at which I would invest into a science-based startup is uh, when the question ceases to be if it'll work to when it'll work. And so really, as long as you know that you've proven the principle and you're not violating the laws of physics, then, then th really the only hurdles are engineering it uh, in a cost-effective manner and making sure there's a market for it. But as soon as the technical hurdle is removed, then that's when I would get interested. And same, seed, pre-seed, you know, I sometimes do Series A, but try to stay away because uh, the valuation's a little too high at that point. Yeah, engineering okay. risk, okay. Scientific risk, not okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, then there's a question from the guy. Uh, he, uh, he, probably he, is asking about the African market, and uh, because you both act, you are entrepreneurs, but you act as a, an investor. So, um, so the African market has great opportunities and value. But why do why do you think that VCs tend to shy away from Africa? Um, I have no idea. I, uh, I, <laughs> the. Uh, I don't know if they shy away. If do they shy away from it, or are there just not that many deals? Well, well, I, I have no one, idea. I'll tell you one thing, though. Um, even in the U.S., there's a geographical preference. If you're on the east coast of the U.S., it's very hard to attract west coast investment. So I would actually even throw out there that's probably geography has a lot to do with it because investors want to stay physically close uh, to the people that are investing in and mentoring. So I don't know if it's an uh, if it's particular to Africa, but I think it's a, a, a it's, it's a geographical um, bias. Yeah, that might be a very good point. Yeah, typically, like in in Finland, also people like to invest in the local startups because then they can be around. But yeah, good good point. Um, okay, uh, let's talk about the misfits. Uh, you you founded a a like leading edge uh, variable startup. What are some of the like um, user experience insights that you guys have learned from from doing so and like? Could you open open up with that? What do that you, wearable users care about? What do wearable users care about? Man, if I knew that, you know. Um, well, I, I will say this. Let me let me share with you how we learned about 
some insights, okay? And maybe it's useful to you guys. So one approach is, you know, you're trying to be as lean as possible. With hardware, it's hard because you got to make stuff and it's expensive and slow, right? Um, so one way to do it was to crowdfund and to see if people would buy it before, before you roll it out, right? But the other thing we did, uh, I think you did some of it, I don't know, but was we, um, we actually read the reviews of our competitors online. You know, um, how many of you here, you here read reviews on Amazon before you buy a product? Yeah, it's pretty much, you know, you have to do it, right? Uh, so I, we did that, man. We did it for the other big brands. I won't name the brands, but you know who, uh, you know who the, the, our competitors were at the time. And we, um, on one of them, there were, so we read over 5,000 reviews. There, you know, there's that, the paging, one, two, three, dot, 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 178. I read all 5,000 reviews. And we, and we basically found out, oh, people really like stuff that looks good. People hate to charge things. People hate to, uh, they like to go swimming with it, or they don't want to be worried about water resistance. And, you know, they like, uh, you know, think, data that's easy to understand. Great. That, there's your product requirements document. So we really, you know, kind of fed off of Amazon reviews early on, and that really it totally. Worked. I mean, we said if we just nail two of these things, you know, uh, let's do it. So we we met, we went for design, and we went for uh, battery life. You know, charging sucks, right? So we went for. Uh, and the funny thing is, people didn't really know what they asked for a lot of times. It's really true. You know, customers knowing what customers want is, want is not their job. It's, it's our job as entrepreneurs and product builders. And so, like, with the battery life thing, you remember, like, people were saying, oh, my gosh, I wish it would last two weeks. Really? That, that's it? How about never charging, you know? And so, uh, so we, we went for that. And um, I think we got some things right, some things we thought were clever and people just didn't care about. No, I think the, fun, the, the funny thing, just to follow on, uh, when we did our crowdfunding uh, campaign, I think we first found like 75% of the people who bought on, on, the, on the Indiegogo platform were female. And so we thought, okay, that's our target audience, and great. So we started thinking about that. And then when we shipped the product, they all registered. And when we saw the, the registrations, it was like mostly men. And it was basically dudes buying the buying the shine for their girlfriends, on on the on the on the campaign. So we actually got the marketing of that a um, little bit wrong in the beginning, but it was all data driven. But it was just not the right data. <laughs> That's a great lesson. Um, okay, uh, we have a couple of those catch boxes over here. So if the uh, audience wants to ask questions like right away, uh, you can just raise your hand, and we can start with the audience questions here from the front row. Yeah. Hello, can you hear it? Okay, um, it's really interesting that um, you know science is coming up a lot at Slush. Um, I'm personally involved in, in that space. Um, but what, what would you say are the lowest hanging fruit in terms of what stuff do you think could be solved very, very quickly? And, and what, what do you wish you guys would be involved with in that space, you know? So I'm a huge fan of synthetic biology, which I believe you are too, Faya. I, th I, think we, I, I think I've spoken to you before. Um, so I'm a huge fan of synthetic biology because uh, microbes and organisms are going to be the next generation factories. This is something that we were taught you know, growing up you know, years ago, but we never saw it come to fruition. Um, and what we're seeing now is that it's actually 
low cost enough and de-risked enough where you can do these experiments and you can actually engineer um, microbes to produce novel materials. So for me, the whole world of synthetic biology is super exciting. It's, you know, it's, it's what medicine should have been doing for the last 50 years, uh, but now the tools are now uh, cost-effective enough that, that anyone, anyone can do it. I think that's a great question. Uh, the short answer for me, I, I love synthetic biology as well, especially in food biotechnology. I think uh, the regulatory bar barriers are just kind of lower and stuff like biopharma, right? You can feed people. And uh, it, so some of the use cases are amazing. You know, there are, you know, uh, clean meat companies, milk, dairy products, like what Perfect Day is doing. And um, so a bunch of other egg companies, right? So I think that's pretty exciting because you can ship stuff fairly, fairly quickly. Um, I will say, though, that um, uh, in terms of uh, low-hanging fruit. It, 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 made me, it makes me think of a playbook that I've been using, and that is with these deep tech companies, a lot of times it just feels like, oh man, this science is going to take five, six years to come, but when it comes, it's really going to change the world. Well, in the meantime, you have to pay rent, you got to raise money, you got to show progress. So what I've been doing is I've been encouraging my deep tech uh, portfolio companies to do an MVP. Which sounds crazy. It's almost uh, deep tech and lean startup seem like very disparate concepts, dissonant concepts, right? But you know, there, you know, if you can show, oftentimes your MVP may not be related to your end goal, you know, but it could be something that you can kind of demonstrate the power of your technology in a very concrete way so that you can say, ta-da, we can do this. You know, we can make a yogurt or a cheese or whatever, and oh my God, that's unbelievable. It tastes great, and, but what we're really after is, I don't know, milk or something, right? And, uh, and sometimes the end goal for a deep tech company is, seems very far away. But you know, there's definitely stuff you could ship earlier. And so the lean principle still applies for deep tech companies. Well, I think the follow-on to that is um, a deep tech company will take far, far longer to develop and, and, and mature than, let's say, just an, uh, making an app or something like that. However, if you look at, at how investment vehicles have been set up, they've been set up on timelines that are legacy, that are, that are structured around you know, five to seven year exits, whereas a deep tech company may take 15 years to exit. And so you can't finance a deep tech company using um, the, the venture, the, 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 the traditional venture structures that are not designed for such long timelines. And so to Sonny's point, doing an MVP soon means that you've demonstrated there's actual traction. You can then go to other sources of capital like family offices and private equity who have a longer timeline. So basically you need to take deep tech, turn it into something that's on the timeline of like an app, for example, and show that it works, and then leverage that and build your business. Um, in considering the development of smartwatches, wearable technology, do you think that uh, um, in, in increasing the utility, blockchain technology will speed the adoption of uh, mobile and micropayments on wearable devices? And, and how do you consider developing wearable technology to uh, um, incorporate the security that you need to have widespread adoption of mobile payments? I guess I have to answer that. Um, that's, that's all you. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, man, a blockchain-powered wearable payment, uh, that sounds like a cool story. I mean, at, at Fossil Group, you guys have, have a, a bunch of power to really push this into the consumer realm. Uh, is being able to use blockchain and you know cryptocurrencies making it easier for you guys to to add payments where you don't have to you know get on Apple Pay, you don't have to use any of the, the kind of bank controlled mobile payment platforms? 
I think wearable payments is uh, is an incredibly interesting kind of feature set, feature and feature set for the wearable space. Will it take off because of blockchain or whatnot? I don't know, but uh, I will say that the one challenge with just wearable payments in general or mobile, you know, you know, alternative payment things, uh, a lot of it's infrastructure, you know, like kiosks that can actually read stuff and uh, kind of uh, merchants that will accept the payment. No matter how, it's just, I haven't found like really, really easy solutions for that in terms of, you know, this in infrastructure problem. I, it seems like it's going to happen, you know, I, you know, wearable ID, wearable uh, payments, wearable authentication, it seems like it's going to happen, right? Uh, it's just a matter of when, not if. Um, but it, it still feels like there's a step function kind of that we need to get past uh, with this infrastructure thing. Um, and I have no idea if uh, Fossil Group will be the ones that lead the charge there or not, but uh, it seems like an obvious use case to me. Yep, thank you. Um, so let's let's give something for the startups that are, are over here listening to us. Um, what would be the best way to start a conversation if, if a startup would want to cooperate with you guys? And, and uh, what would you expect to get from startup and do you do cooperation with startups in general? So cooperation in the sense, I guess, there's, there's two ways of answering that. One is on, individ on an individual level and one is on the, the, the business level. But on an individual level, I think um, the best way is just Ping me on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn. That's you know. Don't send me an email because he needs more friends. Yeah, I need more friends. Yes, I haven't reached my limit like this guy. Um, yeah, so just ping me on social media, um, and you know that's that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. But on 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 the business side, um, uh, you know we're we're a startup as well, and so we're we're obviously looking for. Uh, partners in different geographies. So, so definitely, if anyone here wants to talk about what we're doing at Elemental Machines, come talk to me afterwards. I'll, I'll be around. Uh, easiest is uh, message me on Instagram, just at Sunnyvu. But the, um, I, you know, I'm excited to. Uh, what, what am I like? I think what we're both excited to, to do is work with really phenomenal founders. You know, uh, founders that honestly are fun to be around, and well, that we're going to have fun building a company together, and uh, and. Um, just being a part of their story, you know, right now we're, we're kind of busy, you know, we're busy doing our, you know, we have a number of things that we're involved in. Um, but I feel like there's always room for uh, another, like a, a cool company, a cool founding team that uh, wants to do something that's impactful. So uh, are we, you know, the next, the Uber for catwalking, eh, you know, but uh, man, if you have a new material that uh, can, I don't know, do something really cool, or um, or a new uh, uh, a food product that you you want to bring to the market, man. We would love to be a part of that story. Uh, so, yeah, hit us up. And I think, like, just in general, um, be, having the really the privilege to talk to uh, founders and being able to tell them stuff that we wish someone would have told us, uh, that's really great. I mean, it's really uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay, so now you know how to get it, get get involved. Uh, so uh, time is running up, but we have still uh, room for one uh, question from audience. So please, if you have 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 something to ask, if not, I'm gonna ask something. But okay, front row. I do a lot of um, work on the government level and different organizations on emerging technologies, how they'll influence the workforce, society, and, um, and beyond that. 
And so I'm asking about like from the wearables perspective, how do you think, for example, blockchain, AI, and all of these will be influencing your business? And what do you think are really solid use cases that you've heard of or that you can come up with wishing like someone should do this? Look, um, one of the things that I mentioned a while back, uh, like back pre-acquisition, right, was um, the future of wearable technology, wearable companies, and just, I would say, connected hardware in general, really is going to be comprised of three things. It, it, it all happens to start with a C. I didn't mean to make it all start with a C, but it is. Content, community, and coaching. Content to make it engaging and for people to, uh, to, to, hook peop to hook users in. Community to get people to stick and to make it meaningful. And coaching so that it's relevant and it's really uh, powerful for you personally. And how much longer are we going to be selling hardware and have pure hardware plays? I don't know. But uh, boy, if you had like a recurring revenue that could be built into your connected hardware, that really, I mean, you have, you know, it, that was, people talked about it and it's like lip service before, it's mandatory now. I mean, that's part of why, you know, we're doing Elemental. Elemental, yeah, we have these sensors, IoT sensors, okay, whatever. It's not that hard to make that hardware. But the recurring revenue model where we're placing sensors and doing the analytics service, that actually works. I mean, Sridhar basically has a SaaS model. You know, uh, even though it's hardware, it's, it's IoT as a service. Yep. Yeah, and, and um, let, let me answer what you're saying kind of a little bit different way. There's, a, I think, a much bigger um, B2B enterprise application for wearables and, um, and technologies like blockchain and all of this because what I see, at least from, from our business, is um, uh, the enterprises need to become digital. There's a lot of information that still either isn't being recorded or is very paper-based. And so when everything goes digital, one of the main challenges you have is identity and authentication. And so if you can combine something that's a wearable device, so somebody is always wearing it like a, you know, the, the old school way is like your ID badge that you swipe to get through doors, but there's better ways of implementing that. And then you, you link that with a transaction model. So if somebody needs access to a particular door or whatever, um, and, or uh, if somebody needs to use a machine, Every time somebody uses a machine, they get a micropayment, uh, they, they, they pay for it using their own um, ID bracelet or something like that. So all that, the technology is there, um, but I think much of that has been pushed into the consumer world, and I still think that putting that into the enterprise world makes a lot more sense financially. Yeah, hey, thank you for a great panel discussion. Uh, so we have already run out of our time, but thanks for the audience. Let's give a round of applause. Thanks for listening to the Slush Podcast. Find out more about Slush at slush.org. Please rate and review our podcast. And if you haven't yet done so, subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>